0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, this morning, um, we are looking at part two of our new series called He Said What? Which is a series about some of the outrageous things that Jesus said. Uh, The purpose is really to bring a fuller understanding or a more balanced understanding of who Jesus is and what it ultimately means to follow Him. Uh, For too long, too many have tried to domesticate Jesus, like we try to domesticate and train our pets. I mentioned last week that we had a, we've had we a, had a puppy dog for the last 12 months and, and we had to train him where to sleep. We had to train him where to wee. We had to train him where to poop. Uh, we gave him a few injections. Uh, we sent him to the vet and he had an operation and lost two of his uh, bodily members. And uh, he looked at me and being the dog whisperer that I am, he said to me in, in dog language, call yourself a Christian. I trusted you. Anyway, he's over that now, and he's fully trained, he's fully domesticated, and we love him to bit. He's awesome. Um, But Jesus is not like our little puppy dog and He's not like the pets that you and I keep and train and tame. He is not just the lamb that was slain Remember we sang the song Worthy is the Lamb that was slain on our behalf. We seem far more comfortable with Jesus as a Lamb and He is a Lamb and I'm grateful that He was a Lamb and I'm grateful that as a Lamb He laid down His life and was slaughtered for us and for humanity. He laid down His life. I thank God for that but He's not just Lamb He's also Lion. He's the Lion in the tribe of Judah and He roars as King and as Lord and this is an aspect that many of us are not comfortable with. And throughout this series, um, I want us to become far more comfortable with Jesus, not just as lamb, but also as lion. Jesus will not be tamed. He is not safe, but He is definitely good. And uh, this series is about breaking down the misconceptions of who Jesus is, the stereotypical view of what Jesus did and what he looked like, because apparently hair product was readily available in Jesus' time, if you look at the pictures. Uh, the dental industry were doing a roaring trade with Jesus' white cap teeth. He looked amazing. And uh, he also was onto something when it came to the clothes that he was wearing, because he always had brighter than bright white clothing. This is the picture that we are very happy with, with Jesus. But there is another side, and we're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks. Last week in part one, we talked about obedience is thicker than blood. And Jesus addressed the disciples saying that unless you hate your family, even your own lives, you can't be my disciple. And we explained what that meant. And for those of you who weren't here or would like to hear it again, please feel free to go to our website or our podcast and download all of our messages absolutely free. All I want to say about last week is thank you for leaning in, yeah. um, when you talk about family, people get quite defensive. They get on the back foot, and I sensed there was a little bit of air sucked out of the room when I started. But by the end, I felt like people were leaning forward, yeah. and, and 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 saying to themselves, "I want this freedom yeah. that Jesus uh, operated in on a regular basis—a freedom that wasn't manipulated." Or coerced by family or friends. And I felt like there were uh, the majority of us leaning in saying, we want that. And so I trust that in the last seven days, you've enjoyed a newfound freedom. And I know there are some by virtue of their own confession that said, I was challenged because I'm a bit of a control freak. And I trust for those who felt like that, that you've enjoyed the freedom of not holding on so tight and that you've come into a new freedom uh, through understanding more about who Jesus is. And that's what this series is about, us getting a balanced view of who Christ is. Which brings me to my second part today of our series, he said what? And it's simply entitled, Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe. Let me explain by turning to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus speaking, said, No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus speaking said you cannot serve both God and money. These are Jesus word. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. Week 1 we looked at family, week 2 we're looking at money. I thought what we would do to start this series is touch the two of the toughest uh, subjects on the planet. You know, many of us would not have a golden calf in our lounge room that we worship, but uh, many of us would have a a golden calf in the form of something else. And I believe two of the biggest golden calves in our society are family and finances. And so I thought we're gonna touch them at the beginning so that the rest of this series flows really, really nicely. How does that sound? It's amazing to me that Jesus got it down to two things. He said, when it comes to serving, you're gonna serve one of two things. Remember when he was asked about which is the greatest commandment? He got it down to two things. He says, love God, love people. Jesus was the master of getting a whole heap of thoughts down to the simplest of things. He says, when it comes to the commandments... There are 10 commandments. The um, religious Pharisees made it up to 663, I think it was. There was a stack of commandments. And Jesus says, you know what? All those things you've heard, here's two things I want you to remember. Love God, love people. When it comes to serving, there's two things I want you to know. You can only serve either God or... It's gonna come down to those two things. In life, you'll end up either serving God or you'll serve money. You'll serve God Almighty or the Almighty dollar. And that was outrageous particularly in Jewish culture because wealth was a sign of God's blessing. You've got to get this. People uh, equated that if you were rich, you were blessed and you were blessed because God loved you. You had favour with God and the favour with God was seen in your bank account. And so when Jesus said you can't serve God on money, this was outrageous because they equated blessing with wealth and wealth, with blessing. So what was Jesus trying to say? I believe Jesus was trying to say that God does not mind you having money, but He does have an issue with money having you. Goes, At the whole crux of what Jesus is sharing, I believe Jesus is trying to get across the heart of the Father saying, my Father doesn't have a problem with money. He doesn't have a problem with you having money. What He does have a problem with, however, is when money has a hold You You see, money is a marvellous servant, but it's a terrible master. It's a marvellous servant, but it's a terrible master. When money is your master, it will enslave you. But when Jesus is your master, it will free you. It will liberate you. Those that have been set free by Jesus are free indeed. The message behind what Jesus is saying in all these outrageous statements is He wants us to live in a new level of freedom. Money is gonna ensnare you. Money is gonna trap you. Money is gonna deceive you. And Jesus is saying, don't buy into the lie that more is more. Serve God and be set free. As always, whenever Jesus spoke the Word, He also modelled it. It's one of the things I love about Jesus most is that He didn't just speak. He didn't just talk the talk, but He walked the walk. And so whenever you see Jesus saying something, I would encourage you to look where He modelled it. We as a family uh, decided that beginning this year, we're gonna go through the Gospels. And we've just started Luke now. We're up to our second day in the book of Luke. And it's just fantastic that as a family, we are looking at what Jesus said, but we're also looking at what Jesus did. I'm not here to prescribe to you what you should read in the morning, but in this season of us making much of Jesus, what better portion of the Scriptures to read than the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And so this morning... I want to uh, look at a couple of accounts that are found in the book of Luke. Luke was one of those uh, diligent writers of the the things that he saw and heard. And uh, he wrote down of two accounts that involved two very wealthy people. One was found in Luke chapter 19 and his name was Zacchaeus and he was a tax collector. The other found in Luke 18, we don't know his name, but we know that he is rich, we know that he's young, and we know that he was a ruler. And I also know that these are three things that all of us would love to be today. Who would love to be young? Who would love to be rich? Who would love to be in charge? This young man had everything going for him. He was young, he was rich, and he was in charge. He was the triple threat. He was the real deal. These are not parables. These are are people encounters. There's a difference between a parable or a story and an encounter. These are not parables. These are encounters. And Luke records them for us to learn from. And so let's read in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 23, I think it is. Um, It says that, right? Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 23. That's what I'm trying to say. It says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments you shall... uh, Not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was super stoked. He was amped to the core. He sold everything and he followed Jesus with a massive smile on his face. He didn't. Huh? what does it say? When he heard this, he became sad because he was very wealthy. This is what I've learned about following Jesus. He's either gonna make you sad, mad or glad. And at different times, all three. That's Luke 18. But you flip over one chapter to Luke 19 and you read of another rich man. His name was Zacchaeus. Reading from verse one. Jesus entered uh, Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We can learn a number of things from these two accounts and we're gonna look into that in just a moment. But can I just say this off the bat that Jesus is not after our money. And can I just add to that, the church is not after your money. And can I add to that thought that I am not after your money. Jesus is after your heart, not your money. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The church is not after your money. The church is after your heart. I'm not after your money, but I am after your heart. See, this is not a money matter issue. This is a heart matter. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And we see Jesus in these two accounts He's not fooled by what he sees or what he hears, but he responds differently because he's always interested in the heart. He doesn't see these two rich men and say, oh, show me what you've got. He doesn't respond the same way. And yet in many ways, they have a lot of similarities. They have a lot of things going for themselves. But Jesus is ever interested in their heart, my heart and our heart. And so He responds differently because our hearts aren't always in the same place. And so He doesn't treat rich people all the same. He doesn't treat poor people all the same. He doesn't treat middle-class people all the same because our hearts can be different. You can be rich and have a good heart and you can be rich and have a stingy heart. And Jesus will treat you differently according to your heart, not what you have or not what you don't have. So we're not after your money. We are after your heart. We're not after 10% of your finance. We're after 100% of your heart. Because where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. And so at the beginning, before I get into anything, I just want you to know the heart behind this is our heart. Jesus is not after this man's money. He's after His heart. And because the hearts were so different, he responds differently to these two men. And both responses were unexpected and they were both outrageous. The rich young ruler was a moral man. He was a religious man. He was an earnest man. He was a sincere man. And he asked Jesus a really good question. What must I do to inherit Eternal life. And I imagine everyone watching on looking at this moral, sincere, earnest, religious guy asking a good, godly question, we're going to get a certain answer. But the answer he got and the answer they got shocked them because Jesus didn't answer his question. Instead, he responds by asking him a question. This was outrageous. How dare a moral, sincere, religious, earnest man be questioned by Jesus? Who do you think you are? But that's what he did. Enter Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a publican. He's a tax man. He's defrauded people out of a lot of money. Tax collectors were not popular people in that time. Because when they took the taxes, they took some for the government and some for themselves. Some for the government, some for themselves. Some for the government, some for themselves. And so when Jesus confronts Zacchaeus and they've already seen how he responded to this moral, sincere, religious, earnest man who asked a good godly question, they think, oh boy, he's in trouble. He's gonna cop it. You're gonna wish you never met Jesus today. Can, can you see this? Can you, can you imagine it? And yet Jesus doesn't question him. Jesus doesn't give him the third degree. Jesus actually welcomes him. And he says, hey, he's a guest, come down. And then he goes one step further, he says, hey, I'm gonna come around your house because you're inviting me around for dinner. <laughs> he said, what? I mean, following Jesus was a rollercoaster, people. You've got to understand. So What? And this did not make them happy. They started grumbling among themselves that He welcomed sinners. He eats and wines and dines with sinners. On neither occasion did Jesus respond the way people expected Him to respond. And that's what I love about Jesus. Do you want to go deeper? Who wants to go deeper now? Or who wants superficial? Because if you're going to go deeper, Jesus is going to shock you. Maybe we should sing some songs, maybe write a song for you to say, "Shock me, Lord." <laughs> I want to be shocked, Lord. So much more shocked, Lord. I mean, that's what we're saying when we want to go deeper, Surprise me, Lord. That's what we're asking. Yeah. Jesus shocked everyone. And to be honest, if you haven't read the Bible and been shocked by Jesus and what He did, you're not reading the Bible. The the opportunity I have to preach with you this morning and over the last X amount of years has come out of my... What what did you mean, Jesus? I don't get it, Jesus. Help me to understand, Jesus. I'm more like the Pharisees, Jesus. I'm just being honest with you. If you read the Scriptures and every time you read them, you think you're like Jesus, you're probably not reading it correctly. What makes these two responses even more crazy? The response of the rich young ruler, the response of those who heard what Jesus did for Zacchaeus, what makes their response even crazier is because of a parable Jesus told just before the encounter with the rich young ruler. Jesus told a parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector, almost preempting what was about to happen during that day. So before he met the rich young ruler, before he had, he had this encounter with Zacchaeus, Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable. Almost preempting what is about to take place, preparing the people's hearts with a story so that when that story is outworked in life, they would be ready for it and they would know how to respond. I don't have it on the screen, but in Luke chapter 18, so it's the very same chapter that we find the account of the rich young ruler. Luke 18, it's happened, he told this parable just before this encounter with the rich young ruler. And in verse nine, it says, to some who were confident in their own righteousness, there's a clue why Jesus said this. And those that looked down on everyone else, Jesus told a parable. In other words, Jesus was brilliant at reading people. He was brilliant at reading a meeting. He was brilliant at reading attitudes. He wasn't fooled by what people said or did. He knew the heart of a man. And based upon what uh, was in the room, based upon the self righteousness, based upon the arrogance, he told them a parable. And it goes a little something like this There were two men that went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. Jeez, that just in a moment, we're about to meet one of them. And the other was a tax collector. And we're about to meet one of those too in a, in a moment. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank You that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. How about this? I fasted 21 days once. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, "God have mercy on me a sinner." I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When Jesus was confronted by these two different men, he responds in two different ways because their hearts' condition were different. And we're gonna look at that right now. The first thing that I see was different was their revelation of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus was different between the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Jesus asked the rich young ruler a question. This was His response. He said, Why do you call me good? Seemingly ignoring the question that the rich young ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, before I get there, can I just ask you a question? Why did you call me good? And what you need to understand about that is to use the word good was synonymous with God. And so when you acknowledge something was good, you were saying it's of God. It wasn't just a casual word like we use it today. It had big meaning, strong meaning, deep meaning. It wasn't just a flippant little word, oh, that was good. When you said something was good, you were equating that act, that sentence, that word with it being godly. And so Jesus effectively was saying, are you saying that I'm God? Because how you respond to whatever else comes out of this conversation is gonna determine whether you're obeying God or not. So are you saying I'm God? Or are you just trying to flatter me and butter me up to give you a favourable answer? If I tell you that you're awesome, you'll tell me I'm awesome and I can have eternal life. Now here's the great thing about Jesus' line of questions. If the young man is sincere and meant nothing by it, he's not gonna be offended. But if there is something behind what he's doing, the offence is going to show. Very few of us just own our own mistakes. And sometimes we have to be pushed and coerced just to find out where we're really at. And that's what Jesus is doing here with this rich young man. Are you saying I'm God? If you are, then stop fighting, stop making excuses and, being, and be obedient. Zacchaeus, however, he just climbs a tree so that he can see Jesus. He didn't climb the tree to be seen by Jesus. He didn't climb the tree to be seen with Jesus. He climbs the tree just so that he can get a glimpse of His glory, just to get a glimpse of this Jesus. I, I just wanna see Him and I'll do whatever I have to. And even if it's from a distance, I wanna see Jesus. And I'm going to do whatever I have to. I'm going to run ahead. I'm going to climb a tree. I'm not going to use my, allow my excuses of how short I am. I'm going to get in the position to be able to see Jesus. He doesn't have to acknowledge me. He doesn't have to speak to me. I just want to see for myself this man. Which is a far cry from the rich young ruler who, who just wants to be seen with Jesus. See, I have the privilege in my world of meeting with many different people and, and I love it but I want to meet with them to be with them and to learn from them and to glean from them. It's not about getting an Instagram photo with them. I think sometimes we miss our moment with people because we're too busy trying to let everyone else know that we were with them. And I think it's a problem in society today. We go to a concert and we stand there videoing the whole thing and missing the moment. Instead of just being with One Direction, instead of just being with Taylor Swift, instead of just being with Ed Sheeran or whoever else takes your fancy, the Foo Fighters or whatever, instead of just being there and enjoying the moment with them, we wouldn't let everyone else know that we were with them. And there's a difference. There's a difference. Kath and I have a lot of conversations, some I let you in on. There's many I don't because it's got none of, nothing to do with you. And it's a problem to me when we have our devotions with Jesus and we're quick to just let everyone else know what we got out. Some of those things are personal. Some of those things are private. Some of those things are just between you and Him. And what I love about Zacchaeus, he's not trying to be seen to be with Jesus. He just wants Jesus for himself. He just wants to see Him. There's a different revelation of who Jesus is going on here. Secondly, the conviction of sin was different. The rich young ruler was so oblivious to his own sins that even when Jesus says, you know the commandments, that was meant to stimulate him mentally. That was meant, to, meant for him to get thinking a little bit different. And Jesus says, you know the commandments and he goes through some of them, not all of them, just some of them. He conveniently leaves some out. And at that moment, the young man was meant to say, hang on Jesus, you left some out. But he didn't. Jesus just picked the easy ones. And by the easy ones, I mean the easy ones for this guy. See, there's some things that we find real easy. Thou shalt not gamble. If you don't like gambling, it's real easy. Not that that's one of the Ten Commandments, but you know what I'm saying. But there's some things that are real easy. Thou shalt not smoke. Thou shalt not swear. So, oh, now that's a bit harder. There's some things that God asks us not to do that are real easy. And Jesus basically picked out some easy ones for this young man. He goes, I've been doing that since I was a boy. Do you know I've never smoked? Not because I'm a good boy, it's just I've never been interested. Do you know I've never gambled? I'm just just not a gambler. But there are other things. There are other things. And, And so Jesus says, you know the commandments. Here's five of them. And He's leaving room to say, go on, there are others. And instead of saying, oh, actually, Jesus, you missed some out. And the ones you left out are the ones I struggle with. He goes, I've done all those since I was a boy. He's totally oblivious of his own shortcomings. Now, when Jesus started with the law, he wasn't saying that the law can save you. The law cannot save you. The law was put in place to reveal the error of our ways. The law is like a mirror. That reveals how dirty we are, but it can't clean us. Have you ever walked in the mirror and said, gee, I need a bath. But the mirror can't clean you. The mirror points you to the bath. The law acts like a mirror to show us our sin and it points us to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who fulfilled the law. He's the only one who upheld the law. And because sin and God's glory don't mix, we need a, perf- a perfect uh, mediator. And that is found in Jesus. And so I look at the law and say, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck. Thank God for Jesus. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, if it wasn't for you, I'd have no access to the Father. But because you fulfilled the law and because I'm in you, I have access to the throne room of the Father. The law is not there for us to try and uphold so much as to reveal that we need a Saviour that we're all sinners. See, Jesus conveniently left out the last commandment, "Thou shalt not covet, which this man was guilty of. He had a conviction about other people's sins, but he couldn't see his own. Zacchaeus, however, he wasn't questioned by Jesus at all. He didn't have to have or receive the third degree. He just starts blurting. He just—he's so stoked to have Jesus in his house. This day just went from good to great. Yeah. I was just hoping to see Jesus here. He's in my house. This is awesome. And Jesus, I want you to know, I'm going to give away half my possessions to the poor. And by the way, all of those that I've defrauded and Jesus, uh, there's a lot. I'm going to pay back fourfold. Come on. Yeah. He just starts blurting. He just—he's so aware of his own sin. Being in the presence of Jesus has made him so aware of his own inadequacies, his own shortcomings. He just starts declaring. He just starts confessing. Can you see how they're both rich? And at this moment, the rich has got nothing to do with anything. Jesus is not after your money. He's after your heart. Jesus doesn't love your money. He loves you. And He wants to bring the necessary change in order to set us free, and whatever we are held, whatever is holding us in bondage, he wants to reveal to us to see us set free. This man didn't need to be set free. Zacchaeus didn't need to be set free. He just he just responded and received the freedom. The third thing that we see that their understanding of money was different. The rich young ruler uh, was confronted again by Jesus. He says, uh, "You still lack one thing." I need you to go sell your possessions and give to the poor. In other words, there is a put your money where your mouth is. Friendship, we can receive Jesus. But discipleship, there comes at a time time where you have to put your money where your mouth is. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to put our money where our mouth is. And what I love about this, instead of Jesus confronting him with the 10th commandment, he just gives him opportunity to expose where he's guilty of breaking the Ten Commandment. He doesn't preach about coveting. He doesn't do a great preach. And I think that sometimes the preaching of God's Word, this, we kid ourselves because we've heard it, we're doing it. And so instead of preaching about coveting, Jesus just gets him to do something and sees how he responds to highlight what's in his heart. And so he says, hey, I want you to do something. I want you to sell your possessions and give to the poor. He says, No way! Jesus didn't have to preach against coveting. This man already was guilty of coveting. So you can say, I love Jesus. I'd do anything for Him. How about you get on a roster and serve as a volunteer? Yeah, come on, yeah. And help out our incredible team of volunteers who give themselves tirelessly. Come on. Yeah. Who wants to go deeper? <laughs> come on, we should write a song. I want to serve you, Lord. In the cafe, Lord. <laughs> I want to serve you in the car park, Lord. Probably wouldn't fly. But, but that's what we're saying. We say, I love Jesus, and I, I don't love money more than Jesus. I say, cool, what is this? How about you do this then? No way. And Jesus doesn't say, Can you see how much this has got a hold of your life? Whether it's money, whether it's family, whether it's your time, whether it's your sports, whether it's your hobbies. Jesus didn't preach against it. He just gave an opportunity to highlight what was in the man. You say, I'm so grateful that you forgave me. Are you so grateful that you'll forgive someone else and it'll create an opportunity? I can't forgive him. I and at that moment, we have to ask ourselves, are we more like the rich young ruler or are we more like Zacchaeus? See, this... Rich young ruler, he wanted everything from God, but he didn't want to give anything to God. Yeah. Ravi Zacharias tells this great little story about a boy that loved collecting marbles. He lived next door to a little girl who had a lot of candy. She said to him, I'll give you all my... He, sorry, he, she said to him, if you give me all your marbles, I'll give you all my candy. He said he'd think about it. The next day he hid a few of his marbles in his room and he offered the rest to the little girl for her candy. That night he could not get to sleep. He tossed and he turned and he turned and he tossed all night because he was so troubled. And what do you think troubled him so much that he couldn't sleep? What troubled him was the thought, did she really give me all her candy? How about we don't say amen, how about we say ouch? We want God to give us everything, but we just want to give him something. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, without even being asked, just offered half his possessions and to make a financial remuneration to all those he'd ripped off. He wasn't even asked. Can you see the different understanding? When you love money, you won't put it on the table. That thing that you won't give to God, that, that's what's master and Lord of your life. If you can't at least put on the table, it doesn't mean God will take it. You've just got to put it on the table. Zacchaeus goes, here, look, I'm going to start here. He just throws himself. I love Zacchaeus. He just throws himself on the table. Jesus didn't say you've got to pay back four times. He just said, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to give, I want you to give half your possessions. He said, I'm just going to do it. Because it wasn't about all or half. It was about, where's your heart? And we don't see Jesus saying to this man, hey, I told the rich young ruler to give all. You're only offering half. You're being stingy. No, no, because it wasn't about all or half. It was about heart. The fact that you're offering says that money hasn't got a hold of your heart. The fact that you're offering says, you know what? You've passed the test. Which brings me to my last point. Number four, the outcome of their choices was different. The rich young ruler went away sad. See, he didn't have money; money had him. It was his master, it was his identity, it was his security. Can I just say, if the offering comes around, it makes you sad or mad? It could be, like the rich young ruler, that money is your master. I'm not talking about coming up with a clever excuse to mask it. I'm just about if it makes you sad or mad, there's a good chance that money's got a hold of you more than you give credit for. That's why Jesus puts us in moments that test us to find out what's in us. Here's the incredible thing about this rich young ruler. He came to the right person, Jesus. He asked the right question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He got the right answer, sell and give. But he made the wrong choice. See, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you belong to a good church or not. It comes down to the choices we make. You can sit here and listen to some great preaching, and you do. Uh, We're some great people, and you are. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the choices we make. He went away sad because he chose to ignore the man Jesus and the advice of Jesus. And he went away sad. Zacchaeus went away glad. Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. Zacchaeus was set free from the love of money. See, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, not money. It's the grip of money. It's a tight hold of money. It's, I can't let go of money that's a problem. Not money. And so this man was free. Free to be a son of God. Free to serve God. Free to give. See, this was never about money. This was always about heart. And if we can get to the heart of the matter, we'll be able to get to the root issues in life. And if we get to the root issues, we can see freedom come. So in my time of closing, as the band come, just as a a biblical checklist, I'll have a quick biblical look at what happens when we give. Seven things are going to be up on the screen. We're going to go through them very quick we prove our priorities. When we give, we prove our priorities. My daughter, Jordan, uh, stood up in front of the youth and did the offering. And she said that she'd been working for 12 months and one of the first things that she did was organize a self-debit of a certain percentage of her wage to go straight into the church account. Thus proving her love, commitment, and trust. Secondly, we free ourselves from the love of money. You can sit under some great teaching, but it won't set you free. You can make a commitment, but it won't set you free. There's only one thing that actually sets you free from the love of money. There's only one thing that actually sets you free from the grip of materialism. There's only one thing. And that's actually when you choose to give. Yeah. It's only one thing. There's nothing else in this life that's going to set you free from the grip of materialism and the love of money other than giving. Yeah. So, When you give freely and there's nothing in it for you, it's the only time you can say I'm truly free from the love of money. You can buy somebody a ticket to a movie that you are going to and and, and enjoy It's not the same. When you give, no strings attached. Thirdly, we communicate our trust in God. Chris did a great job this morning just highlighting that. Eventually, If we're going to truly trust God, it means stepping out in an area we're not sure. God, I can't afford to give, but I trust You. It doesn't make good financial sense to set aside a certain percentage of my income. In this financial climate, it doesn't make sense. And God's saying, I know, I know. But it's not about making, it's not a making sense issue. It's not a money issue. It's a trust issue. Do you trust me? Come on, test me. Do you trust me? Throw it on your money. We want you to be able to put yourself in a place where you trust God because that's where the growth is. All the disciples stood in the boat when Jesus was walking to them, but only one got out. And that was Peter. And Jesus said, come. And I want you to know that moment Peter was not actually walking on the water. He was walking on the Word. He was walking on the Word of Jesus that had come. The Word of Jesus superseded the physiological, biological, uh, chromosomal qualities of that water. The Word of Jesus was far greater than the properties of that water. Can you imagine the water particles Can you imagine the water particles that were under Peter's feet at that moment and all the other water just doing its normal thing? What are you doing? I "I don't know, I just, I don't know. I just don't feel so loosey-goosey anymore. That that guy, Jesus, he spoke and and I just got to be solid. (laughs) The Word of Jesus is so powerful. And if we're not gonna give because we can't afford to, you will live limited. You will live according to your resources and your understanding and your provision. And that's limited. But when we put ourselves under the Word of Jesus, it's limitless. You can't claim the Scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but live according to your ways. You can only claim that when you put yourself in line with His ways, His Word, His will and His ways become a living reality when we trust Him. Yeah. See, we have these favourite Scriptures and we wonder why they don't work for us because we're not living according to His ways. It's not enough just to live according to His Word. We've got to live to His ways. We've got to position ourselves. We position ourselves for increase. The Bible talks about being receiving in good measure, pressed down, shaken together. I, I don't believe we should give to get anything. But you know what? God being the old encompassing, loving God that He is, it is a part of it. We don't do it for that reason, but it is the overflow. We should never give to get. Oh Lord, I'm struggling. I I need some money for my bills. I'm going to give and and I need good measure, we shouldn't give for that reason. We should always give based on what He's already done. But nonetheless, the bigness of our God, He always blesses over and above. We facilitate the growth of God's kingdom. Do you know, every... Major revival, every major move of God was superseded with an act of generosity. God said, so love the world. He gave His only begotten Son. The kingdom of God has been increasing ever since. It's an act of generosity that increased the kingdom and will continue to increase the kingdom. How about this one? We just obey God. When you do it, just obey God. How about that? I'm just going to obey. It's going to obey. And the last one is we imitate God. Remember those songs, I want to be more like you, Lord? You do? You really want to be more like me? Well, do you know I'm a really generous God? Do you know I actually gave not just 10%? I gave heaven's best. You want to be more like me? Ah, oh, I love doing, I love preaching, I do. So you want to be more like me? Who wants to be more like Jesus? Come on, show me your hands. Let's be more generous. I don't see Jesus sitting on the front row or even the back row for that matter when the offering bucket goes by and saying, church, all they want is my, then my money. I don't see Him doing that. Yeah, yeah. So if we're doing that, we're not being like Jesus. Yeah. But when we give, we become more like Him. Yeah. Who has become more like Jesus? Yeah. On. Do you want to stand? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au